You are listening to the sounds of children and their families recorded at a monthly gathering organized by Tia, spelled T-I-Y-Y-A. The recurring event is for families to socialize in the park and is one of the many programs that are part of the organization's efforts to build community with continuity for their clients. Tia was founded by refugees and women of color and creates communities of support and organizes access to economic opportunities and critical resources for immigrants, refugees, and displaced indigenous communities. Today, we'll visit with the organization's director of operations, Shukri Khatan, and explore the roots of the foundation and a few of its social enterprise programs serving the immigrant, refugee, and displaced indigenous communities in Orange County and Los Angeles. One of those programs, featured in our conversation today, is Flavors from Afar, a unique catering and brick-and-mortar restaurant in Los Angeles's Little Ethiopia neighborhood. We'll also hear from a chef and artists whose talents were further cultivated within Tia. At the end of the episode, please stick around to hear more about one of the organization's founders, Mimuno Hussein Katan, one of this year's 2022 Top 10 CNN Heroes. If you are listening on or before December 6th, you can vote for Memuna as well as the other exceptional leaders selected this year. Shukri, thank you for joining us today on Crossings, the Refugee Experience in America. We ask all our guests about their organization's origin stories, often an important part of the identities of newcomers and indigenous communities and the organizations that serve them. I know your organization is 12 years old since its founding, but I'm sure your story started years before that. I understand both you and your spouse, a founder of the organization, have family legacy stories built upon migration and arrivals. Can you tell us about yours? Yes, of course. And um, thank you so much, Vincent, for inviting me to speak on your show. Um, really happy and excited to share the story of Tia as well as our own personal journeys, which I think is a very important piece to the work we do. Um, both Maymuna and I have our own um, experience as children of displaced people, refugees, and we bring those experiences to the organization itself because we feel that deeper understanding of what other families are going through is what really helps us to really curate programming for them. And even in our case management, you know, we, we are looking for answers to their questions um, that we feel we wanted in our own experiences or the experiences of our parents. So um, to kind of give you an idea of my journey, I was born in the United States, but um, both my parents and my older sister 
they um, were refugees from the Middle East. Um, my parents were displaced in 1948 from Palestine. So they became um, Palestinian refugees um, in different parts of the region. My mother's family, they went to Syria and my father's went to Jordan. And um, they were married or they met and were married in Syria and lived in the Middle East for several years before they finally came to the United States. And uh, that's where I was born and grew up with my parents sharing their story, sharing their experience to me at a very young age, uh, what it was like for them to, um, to be displaced, to have to flee their home, and also how to live in other countries that sometimes were hospitable and sometimes not. Um, they had both um, positive and negative experiences living in different Arab countries. And so they made their way eventually to the United States and made it a home for both myself and uh, my sister, my older sister. Um, for me, I think their journey and their experience was very important. Um, you know, growing up in the U.S., identity politics is really important. Um, you know, you can say you're American, but oftentimes you get the follow-up question of, you know, where are you really from? So that was very difficult for me as a, as a child, um, explaining what it was like or what it is to be a Palestinian. Um, and then that led me to want to learn more about that experience, more about the history, and even further, how I could help. And as I grew older, um, I found myself studying more about global refugees, um, not just about Palestinians. I started to see that that experience my parents went through was very similar to those who fled uh, Europe in World War II. Um, you know, Jewish refugees had to go through very similar experiences. Um, and then even in modern history, you know, you have people from Southeast Asia, uh, from Vietnam, uh, from different parts of Africa, Ethiopia, Somalia. Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, it's a very long list of people that are displaced in this world. And I think that's where I grew to understand the situation as a global conflict and not just this personal, um, um, I guess, event that happened for my, my family. And eventually I, that led me to want to become a case manager at the resettlement agency. And so I uh, worked with the International Rescue Committee uh, at their office in Glendale. And there I was first tasked with being a case manager for uh, families fleeing Iran. Uh, this is back in early 2000. So these were religious minorities um, fleeing Iran at the time. And uh, we would work with them and resettle them in uh, LA County or even Orange County. And then eventually, uh, as I stayed in the organization, that caseload changed to where I was now uh, working uh, specifically with uh, Iraqis, so people who were coming as um, refugees or as SIV um, holders, I was there to work with them, uh, primarily because I could speak the language, I could speak Arabic, um, but also I had that um, understanding of, you know, the culture of people coming from that region, from the Middle East. So uh, while I worked with the, the refugee community and was getting more involved, 
I somehow wanted to do more. I felt like case management was a very important component, but it is limited. Um, it is a government contract where you are basically tasked to support families for 90 days. And then beyond 90 days, depending on your agency, either you have extended programming or you don't. Um, and unfortunately, <clears throat> excuse me, at the Glendale office, uh, at the IRC, we didn't have too much, and especially in way of uh, programs for youth. And so I began to look at other nonprofits around me, and um, I was especially interested in looking for other partners as um, I started to work with more Iraqi families that were being resettled to Orange County. And that's when I was first introduced to TIA. Um, I found this nonprofit. Uh, located in Orange County. It was developed and created by refugees from Ethiopia, uh, mother and daughter. And uh, it, the message, the story really resonated with me where I reached out and I spoke to the executive director, Maimuna, who is now my wife and I work with. Um, she had told me that they would be able to help um, this new family by coming up and picking them up at the airport. Uh, it was an Iraqi family that uh, was 10 individuals. And as a case manager, my role is to go pick them up from the airport and then take them to their new home. Um, at that time, I was young. I had a small car, a Honda Civic. So I knew there was no way I could transport a family of 10 and all their luggage in my car. So Maimuna and her mother uh, both came up to meet with me and this new family to help them um, relocate to their new place in uh, Irvine. And they brought a huge van and we loaded them up and took them down. And the next day where I'm also tasked to do a home visit, I was also able to meet with Maimuna again. And uh, we had a meeting and talked more about the family and the work she was doing. And from there we you know, developed our professional and I would say also a romantic relationship um, where I would say seven months later we got married and then I got closer to her and the work and the organization as a whole. What are some of the programs TIA has conceived and built to serve immigrants, refugees, and displaced indigenous communities in and around Orange County and greater Los Angeles? We first started with a focus on the youth. So the children of these families. And um, much of that is due to uh, Maimuna, uh, the founder of the organization, who, when she came with her family in the early 80s as a refugee, um, she noticed that there wasn't much for her. Uh, there wasn't a lot of resources or attention to children of refugees or children who are themselves refugees coming to the school district or um, just having um, after-school programming that was geared towards that community. And she grew up in that kind of system in Orange County for several years where she really wanted to focus on their needs. And Tia, in, in many ways, was started for that purpose. Um, but to take a couple of steps back, um, before Tia was established in 2010, uh, Maimuna's mother, Olia, had been doing a lot of grassroots work with refugees as well. Um, her role was more of providing interpretation, 
um, to new families coming from East Africa, so from Somalia or from Ethiopia. But when she would visit these homes, oftentimes um, they were living in very um, difficult uh, conditions. Uh, the homes would not be furnished. They were sleeping on the floor. Um, they basically had nothing except just a roof over their heads. So they had that at least. So Maimuna's mother would then come back to visit with furniture items. So um, in many ways, um, Tia and even just her mother's uh, work started with providing um, basic necessities. So we felt the first thing these families needed was just uh, uh, the feeling of a, of a home. So that means like a bed, a comfortable bed, a refrigerator, sofa, just the very basic things any family would need when they first moved to a new place. Um, and that's kind of how things started for several years. Maimuna um, was doing that work with her mother um, throughout the 80s and, uh, and 90s. It was uh, just a, a mother, daughter, and even her whole family. Uh, Maimuna has three other sisters, her father. Uh, they were somehow always involved in just helping new families, visiting them. And so these relationships began to grow and expand. And then, um, as I said, Maimuna always had this passion to do um, programming for those kids. So after she had graduated um, from her master's degree in organizational development, she decided to start a nonprofit. Um, she felt her mother's work could be institutionalized in a way where they could receive funding and begin building out these programs. Um, so in 2010, Tia was born, and um, the first thing that we that she launched, and then eventually I I came in to help was um, soccer. Soccer for kids was the first way we thought we could engage all these different communities because at that time we were working with families from the Middle East, from Africa, from Central South America. Um, it was very diverse population. So we knew soccer was just universal language that everyone in some way either knows about soccer or knows how to play soccer or enjoys the sport. So these kids were invited to come out to the field and uh, we did a winter camp. And I remember Maimuna and I were first anticipating maybe 20 kids, 30 kids. Um, the first day we had 65. And so we knew this was definitely a need and um, the children loved it to the point where uh, a week long camp wasn't enough. And we saw that these kids needed more. They needed um, enrichment programs. Um, they needed more access to different um, you know, educational advancement. And again, these were the things Maimuna already knew growing up that they had limited um, access to. So Tia first started with educational programming. That's one of the main um, components to the programs we create. It's part of our mission um, is really providing educational um, access. But then the parents of these kids were so happy to see what we were doing because after we provided soccer, we were doing tutoring, um, we were having art programming, um, taking kids on field trips to the beach, to the park, different areas that they may not normally go to on their own. Um, the parents wanted support as well. Uh, they began to bring up the, the point of, you know, 
um, not having experience with speaking the language, um, having trouble finding work. So, um, you know, definitely challenges that both Maimuna and I saw our parents go through when they came to this country. And then Tia um, adapted and expanded to now um, hosting more um, economic advancement into our mission. So now on top of education, we saw, you know, these parents need to know the language. And in many ways, the language does lead to finding gainful employment and um, creating and crafting programs now that would help these individuals not only find, um, you know, entry level positions, because obviously just finding employment immediately is is very um, you know, very useful for, for a family that's starting out. Uh, they don't want to stay on um, government aid or government benefits forever. So finding some sort of job or some form of financial support is important. But one of the things I think makes us a little different is we also understand that these are oftentimes individuals who themselves have a professional background. Um, they come from this from these countries um, as doctors, as lawyers, um, government officials, you know, they're highly educated, um, or they themselves worked several years in a restaurant, or they worked several years um, driving a taxi, or they just, they have already something built into them that they are ready to work and do more than just um, entry-level survival positions. So on top of finding them those jobs, we also work with them to recertify their degrees, to help them get into internships or programs where they can professionally um, develop themselves either in careers they once had or careers they hope to pursue. And really giving them not just the opportunity to feel stable, but to really thrive um, in this country. And, um, you know, education and then economic advancement. I think these are the two pillars of really stabilizing and setting up roots uh, in this country. Um, the final component that I would say TIA provides that I don't often see in other organizations is uh, community. And community in the broadest sense possible. I think we feel like these families you don't have to necessarily feel they are only going to connect with people from their country of origin. Um, oftentimes, that's not always a good match because they might have fled civil war, so they may not want to connect with people from their community. It's, it's triggering. Um, and we live in a country that is very diverse, and many people from different backgrounds and different similar, uh, actually, from similar um, journeys of displacement who could connect with these families. So for us, community means people who are sometimes first, second generation immigrants or children of refugees or people who are newly resettled, um, bringing them together as a support network for these families and hosting events that's really built on respect and understanding and um, celebration of these people so that they feel they are here, they're seen, they're understood, and that they can grow. Um, one thing I noticed my own parents struggled with uh, was not feeling rooted in this country. There was always a sense of, we don't really belong here, we need to go back home. 
Um, but many refugees don't have that um, option where home is either doesn't exist anymore um, or it's just not feasible to start a life back home. Uh, so why not make this place you live in home? And that's what Tia really tries to do is to show families that you can begin anew and you have people around you that want to help and, and want to be your friend. So important, cultivating community and a place for persons to call home. The organization also operates a brick-and-mortar restaurant in Los Angeles's Little Ethiopia neighborhood. And I know there you feature meals supervised and crafted by chefs from around the world. Can you tell us how this got started and how it's doing today? Yes, uh, that's our Flavors from Afar um, restaurant. It's part of our um, social enterprise and culinary program at TIA. And um, the reason for Flavors from Afar really came out of the shift in um, politics around um, refugee resettlement. So uh, during the Trump administration, refugee resettlement had pretty much brought down to zero and a lot of um, government funding, which we were also tied to um, before the new administration at that time, um, was being cut um, or reduced significantly, where we saw, you know, resettlement agencies around the country shut down and or cut staff or change programs. Um, it was a very difficult time uh, for a lot of organizations and um, especially for us at TIA. Uh, we had lost the government contract. Uh, the lack of new resettlement meant there was less interest from foundations and even donors to support the programming. And as a result, there was a point where we nearly um, had to sh shut down, close our doors. But, um, you know, our community really stepped up. We had a lot of people that did not want to see our youth programs and um, were benefiting greatly from our economic advancement work. So we had several individuals who approached us and basically pitched this idea of, you know, how can we help? Um, you know, there is a lot of talent in this community that could potentially help Tia. And one of the proposals that an individual had for us uh, was this concept of, you know, creating a catering program. Um, he had mentioned visiting other homes to get um, food from back home. So he himself was an asylee from Egypt. And, you know, Egyptian cuisine is available in Orange County, but, you know, there's some dishes that you don't find. And so he would go to the home of a woman who was cooking food, and she herself was, you know, an immigrant, or I believe she, she was also part of the, you know, asylum program, and would cook for him and other people around the neighborhood. And so he said, you know, why don't you hire these people? Why don't you bring them together? They can cater, and that funding could go towards, you know, supporting the organization. So we took this idea back to our, um, our community. Uh, we started a committee of staff, volunteers, board members, 
um, to kind of, or, and also families that we worked with, so clients, um, and, and discussed it. You know, what does this look like? What kind of catering do we do? Do we then create a social enterprise? And this idea of flavors from afar um, was created and at first was a catering program in Orange County. We first hosted uh, an audition where we opened up uh, at least five, six positions to the community to fill as uh, caterers for the program. And we had about, I think, 15 people who applied. Um, we brought community members together to do the auditioning. So they, they tasted the food, they judged on flavor, on presentation, on timeliness, and we selected our first chefs and they were from different parts of the world. So we had two chefs from Afghanistan, one from Iraq, one from Syria, um, one from uh, Somalia, and um, I'm missing, I think another, but those are, are the ones I remember. And um, they, uh, they would then help us find jobs where, you know, if individuals wanted catering from cuisine from Afghanistan, we would hire one of our chefs. And we did that um, for several years. So this started in 2018. The catering really took off in 2019. And then um, there was a point where Maimuna thought of taking this catering into the restaurant industry. Um, so finding like a brick and mortar where we could also not only host the catering, but provide food and cuisine to people on a daily basis in a restaurant setting. Um, so she found an opportunity in Little Ethiopia where we opened up Flavors from Afar. Um, fortunately, unfortunately, uh, the grand opening for Flavors from Afar was the same week as the stay-at-home orders. So March 20th of 2020 was meant to be our grand opening, uh, but unfortunately we had to definitely mute it down where the restaurant first opened with takeout and pickup and we did that for a few months and you know kept up with the you know different policies and codes around um, staying safe during covid but um, we were able to get a lot of um, media attention i think people were really still interested in this concept of you know opening a restaurant that featured refugee food um, from countries that, you know, you don't normally find cuisine in, in the LA area. Um, so that helped build up our, I guess, uh, reputation. And of course, we already had clients who were experiencing the food through the catering program. And eventually, you know, the, the restaurant was able to open up and we were able to bring in people, you know, the pandemic was coming to a close. We saw more people coming in and we created the restaurant to be also an experience where we wanted to feature now um, new chefs. Um, so in addition to the initial catering team that we hired, we were now looking to find um, other family, like other clients who are interested in um, being chefs. Um, or other people in the community who they themselves are refugees or asylum seekers to um, join this program. And the culinary program aspect of Flavors from Afar is we help a lot of these individuals 
to either perfect their skills or to teach them how to create their cuisine in a restaurant um, setting. So one of our um, team members, uh, her name is Kenna Copes. Uh, she's our executive chef and program instructor. So she's in charge of the kitchen at the restaurant. Um, but then she also works with our refugee cooks. Um, once a month, they come into the kitchen and basically receive training on how to curate and design a menu around their food and then taking something that would probably be several hours of cooking at home to just 20 minutes in the kitchen. Um, so learning how to prep ingredients in time or in advance, um, putting your sauces together, learning knife skills, um, that a lot of these individuals already had um, developed either at home or through, you know, passing down recipes and knowledge from parent, from grandparent to parent, so on and so forth. Um, but then always were cooking for their families, but never in this kind of high-paced restaurant setting. So for them, they were really learning how to um, make these cuisines and present them in a way where if they were ever interested in taking their craft into a professional setting, they could. Um, and many of them do, where we help them get a business license, a catering license. Um, we, we, we give them an opportunity to learn how to start um, a business. Um, they get their food and handling licenses through our program. Um, all of these different things that they may never, or they may not have known was attached to the industry, um, they learn uh, through the culinary program. Um, and this is where, once they kind of pass that, we will then feature them and their menu at the restaurant. And this happens um, each month. So we have a, a rotating menu where we'll highlight a new global cuisine and a new chef. So not only are we employing more people now, where each month we have someone new, someone we can employ and train and highlight, um, the community around us also gets to experience this new cuisine. Um, last uh, month, we were highlighting Kenyan food from one of our um, program participants who she and her family came as asylum seekers. Um, this month, we're hosting um, Venezuelan food again. Uh, a woman who came to this country as an asylum seeker. So we, we plan to do this and continue to do this as a way to support these people with learning the craft of the culinary arts and in helping them also learn how to be self-sufficient if they wanted to pursue that kind of profession. Um, we are also hopefully very soon you know, restaurant industry is very difficult to start off with profit, but we're getting very close to the point where we should be making enough profit where 40% of that will go back to TIA and it will fund our programs. So now we no longer have to uh, be reliant on government funding. We can now rely on ourselves and use the, the profits from the, the social enterprise, from the restaurant and the catering to go back to um, the organization itself. And uh, I would say the final piece of the, the experience is also for the community at large. Um, they can now you know, demystify some of these countries that they 
are exposed to first on TV through war and, and, and trauma and challenges. And they can now learn that, no, you know, there's so much more. You know, Afghanistan has delicious cuisine um, that you can enjoy at the restaurant. Um, Somalia has very versatile um, dishes and spices that you may not be aware of that you can now try in this restaurant. And, you know, you're learning, but you're also experiencing delicious food. It's certainly challenging enough to open a restaurant in a metropolitan area. But to do so successfully during a global pandemic is, well, simply remarkable, Shukri. Let's move to the menu. Food is such an essential ingredient to a joyful life, not to mention sustaining life in general. I'd never ask you to play favorites, but what are some of the dishes a visitor to Flavors from Afar might enjoy? Um, sure, yes, uh, and thank you. Yeah, I definitely don't want to uh, play favorites. Um, and, you know, it's actually something that we incorporate into our menu. Um, in addition to the featured menu of the month, we have a classic menu. So we kind of pick the most popular dishes from a lot of these chefs that stay on the menu throughout the year. So if, for example, you missed our chef from, uh, from Eritrea, you could still try that food on the classic side, the classic menu. Um, so there's definitely a lot of popular dishes. For me, um, my go-to is always the, the Somali uh, fried rice and chicken. Um, it's delicious, it's colorful, um, it has a unique hot sauce that you only find in Somalia that's paired with the chicken that's just incredible. It's, it's very spicy um, for, I think, LA though, because we're very used to hot and spicy dishes. Um, I think it compares very well, but uh, for those who are not used to that, it, it'll definitely um, add some some extra spice to your to your to your palate, um, and then another uh, favorite for me is the Kenyan tilapia. It's made with this um, coconut sauce, and the the fish is just fried just right, where it's just juicy enough, but there's this crispiness on the top um, that just makes it so delicious. Uh, that is also another popular dish and one of my favorites. Um, and I would throw in also the sambusas. Um, these are also from Somalia. They're very similar to samosas. Um, I think everyone has like their own version or variation of this kind of triangular pastry. I'm sure like over time through the Indian Ocean, people have shared recipes and uh, have similar types of foods, but in Somalia, theirs is a bit more crispy and um, it's filled with meat. So you have these beef, uh, ground beef, um, sambusas that have um, a little bit of spice. So there's jalapeno in there as well. Um, and you eat those with that hot sauce. Um, and it just, it's so delicious and highly recommend any one of those. Might you share a story from the chefs who share or shared their culinary talents at Flavors from Afar? Yes, uh, I would say one of our um, success stories has been 
our Somali chef, uh, Chef uh, Malia Hamza. She was one of actually our first um, chefs who catered when we first launched back in 2018, 2019. And um, she's home cook trained. A lot of these uh, dishes she creates and she serves was from learning at the kitchen with her family or her, her parents. Um, and she also was one of the first line cooks that we hired in the restaurant. So not only um, was she one of our first caterers, she was also one of the first employees for Flavors from Afar. And um, she herself actually had some experience in the restaurant industry. She tried to start her own restaurant many years ago when she was living um, in another state in the country before she came to uh, California. So she had some insights, but um, definitely was, uh, I think, learning a lot from the program and from our executive chef, where after, I would say, a year of working at Flavors, um, she built up enough confidence where she wanted to start her own uh, restaurant again. So she found an opportunity in, uh, I believe, Minnesota, where she moved with her, her children and was able to start a Somali uh, restaurant um, in one of the, the malls in Minnesota. And she was able to start the business. She said she was using and is using a lot of the, the knowledge and the skills that she had gained in the kitchen um, to really help her not only perfect the food that she was serving, but also um, develop her, her business to be uh, more successful. So um, she's definitely, I think, one of our success stories. And we're always, you know, checking in on her and, and uh, you know, also hoping to go visit her in her restaurant someday soon. Our friend Tia Sarah Johnston also shared this recorded story from chef and artist Maria Esther Galban. Let's listen. My name is Maria Esther Galban. I was born in a wonderful country. Venezuela. I lived the abundance and generosity of its nature. There, I learned how to follow my passions, cooking, weaving, making jewelry, and I became a teacher and a ceramicist. And I had the opportunity to teach at various villages with native indigenous and communities in need. I became an artisan connected with nature. And I had what I thought it was a complete and happy life. But my personal story had to take a very different step. Suddenly, things changed in Venezuela. The scarcity, insecurity, lack of essential things, but mainly violence, led me to take the decision of packing my life in two suitcases and flee to United States of America, where I was resettled gratefully in 2016. Since then, resilience has been my main focus. I started teaching Spanish through art as part of my reinvention and being open to new experiences. I did caterings for friends and fundraising events that led me to meet a wonderful woman, Maimuna Hussein Katan, 
founder of TIA, an organization that helps immigrants and refugees to integrate into the new culture and society. Flavors from Afar is a restaurant part of this organization, but for me it's more than a common restaurant. I see it as a place that nurtures seeds from different cultures, and those seeds are flavors, scents, and colors from different countries. Flavor from afar and its great team have made me feel welcomed, worthy, and empowered by allowing me to feature Venezuelan cuisine in this country. I am so grateful to them for such loving gesture. I got motivated that uh, I decided to learn more about nutrition and health and sign it up to IIN, becoming a coach in health and nutrition. Children malnutrition is one of my main concerns. Venezuela has a very high index of children malnutrition. The circumstances I am living in now doesn't allow me to help them, but I am working with a small organization called Helping Children in Venezuela, and we send food, medicines, clothes, and toys. I am conscious that this is not the solution. I believe in teaching the people how to empower themselves, in teaching how to fish, not to give them the fish. Therefore, one of my dreams is to work for an organization of people with the mindset of teaching and empowering communities through art, craft, farming, and connection with nature to give them the fuel to live a better life. Shukri Katan, thank you for joining us today and sharing some of the vital work the TIA Foundation performs for immigrant, refugee, and displaced indigenous persons. Is there anything that we missed that you'd like to add? I think I, I didn't um, provide the explanation for the name of the organization. Um, so TIA, it is a word that comes from uh, my wife's language, Afan Oromo, uh, from Ethiopia. And it means um, my love. And that's something, you know, I would want the listeners to know is that TIA is definitely an organization built and created out of love um, for this community that often gets forgotten, neglected, mistreated. Um, and, and we felt that, you know, part of that love is creating community, as I, I mentioned before. So um, when we talk about TIA, uh, we definitely are thinking of that larger goal of making people feel connected, feel welcomed, and, um, and feel respected again. Special thanks go to our guest, Shukri Katan, and Sarah Johnston of the TIA Foundation. More information on the TIA Foundation and Flavors from Afar can be found at www.tia.org. 
That's T-I-Y-Y-A. And if you are listening before December 6th, please consider voting for Meamuno Hussein Katan with the other exceptional everyday heroes in this year's Top 10 CNN Heroes at www.cnn.com. Today's episode of Crossings, the Refugee Experience in America was produced and hosted by Vincent Hostack. Theme music was composed and produced by John Orr Franklin. We'll be back soon 